The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today, we conclude our look at the church at Thyatira. You may recall from yesterday's message that the church at Thyatira was experiencing problems from within its ranks. There was immorality and error being promoted in that church. Jesus had a lot to say about the problems at Thyatira. In fact, this letter to Thyatira is the longest letter of the seven that Jesus dictated to John. Today, Brother Buddy concludes this message and gives us some encouraging words about what's in store for those who remain faithful to Christ in the midst of trouble, even within the church. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Now let's notice what the Bible says about this woman Jezebel. Uh, first of all, she was a Baal worshiper married to King Ahab, who was one of the worst, if not the worst king that Israel ever had. And notice what happened to this woman. Second uh, Kings chapter 9 and beginning with verse 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard it, and she painted her face, and tired her head, and looked out at a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Had Zimri peace who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And they looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, throw her down. So they threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses. And he trod her underfoot. They threw her off the wall. She splattered when she hit the ground and he trampled over her on foot and when he was come in he did eat and drink Jezebel was thrown over the wall and she hit the ground and it was a a, a gross sight and yet he came in and did eat and drink and said go see now this cursed woman and bury her for she is a king's daughter and they went to bury her but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hand wherefore they came again and told him and he said this is the word of the Lord which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, This is Jezebel. Now that's the real, literal person, Jezebel. I can't prove that this per person in Revelation was named Jezebel, but you know, I've never met anybody named Jezebel, have you? <laughs> and there's a reason for that. You know, even, even today, the name Jezebel, all these thousands of years later, still carries that same connotation. Here's a wicked, ungodly, immoral woman. So I believe here when he talks about in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, this woman Jezebel, he's speaking of a woman like her. She calls herself a prophetess. She teaches uh, the servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. See, that's how merciful God is. Here is a woman, evidently a member of the church, claiming to be a preacher, a prophetess, committing fornication, seducing the servants to commit fornication, yet the Lord still gave her space 
to repent, but she repented not. Now notice this. And before we read these next two verses, let me remind you. This is a letter Jesus wrote. And although it hopefully applies to the church in any age, it was originally intended for what was going on at Thyatira. And here's what Jesus said regarding this unrepentant Jezebel-like woman. Verse 22, Behold, I will cast her into a bed. Somewhat of sarcasm, isn't it? Jesus says, I'll cast her into a bed, and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Jesus gave those that were involved in this sin space to repent as well. Now watch this, verse 23. And I will kill her children with death. Notice the word kill and the word death. I believe Jesus is emphasizing that they're going to die. Jesus says, I will kill her children with death. Now, I don't believe he's talking about her natural children, but those that are involved in her ways, those that imitate, those who follow her. You may say, well, Brother Buddy, a lot of the language in Revelation is symbolic. Surely Jesus is not actually saying he's going to kill her children. Okay, let's, let's turn to some language that's certainly not symbolic. In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, and we'll read this rapidly. Acts chapter 5, verse 1, listen to this. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold the possession and kept back part of the price, his, also, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? and to keep back part of the price of the land. Now the problem wasn't that, uh, that Ananias didn't give all the money he made from the land. The problem was he made out like he gave all the money. He deceived them. Peter says in verse 4, Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. See, it may be one thing to deceive people out there in the world, but you go about you go deceiving the church. That's a big deal to God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. And gave up the ghost. Is that symbolic? I don't think it is. <laughs> he fell down and gave up the ghost. That's not the end of this harsh. But notice this now. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. I bet it was a long time if ever again somebody sold a piece of land and held back part of the money and told the church they gave them all the money. I bet that didn't happen again. 
And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. You know, here comes Sapphira, and I'm sure she's thinking, man, they're really going to praise me for what I've given to the church. She has no idea what's happened. And when they heard, uh, and Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. In other words, Peter asked her if what she gave the church was what the land was sold for, and she lied and said, Yeah, knowing that they actually kept back a portion of the money. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghosts. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came on all the church and upon as many as heard these things. I, I bet that word was spread far and wide that when you give money to the church, you better be honest about it. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Not only does the Lord dispense harsh judgment when the Lord's people lie to the Holy Ghost by misrepresenting things, but also when you disrespect the communion service. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show, for, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Have you ever heard someone say, well, the reason I hadn't joined the church is because I'm not worthy. That's right, you're not. The reason I don't participate in communion is because I'm not worthy. In and of yourself, you are not worthy. But the issue here is not your worthiness. Notice he says, He that eateth the bread and drinketh the cup of the Lord unworthily. This is speaking of the attitude, the mindset, how much respect you give to the service. See, if you come in for communion and you say, Lord, I'm worthless in your sight. But my hope is in what this bread and wine represents. The Lord's pleased with that attitude. If you don't think you need the body and blood of the Lord to purge you of sin, then you'll feel no need to come. But notice what was going on here. If you drink of the cup of the Lord unworthy, you're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It's like you're crucifying him again, at least in your mindset. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. 
For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now he goes on to say, or maybe it's prior to this, he says, uh, let's see, it's up in uh, verse 22. Here's what was going on. Paul says, what? Have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. In other words, they were treating it just like a meal. And not only that, it seems to indicate they were segregating themselves from others in the church that weren't as well off as they were. That's what they were doing for the communion service. <laughs> and the communion service more than anything else should be when we're all on the same level. Because we're all saying, I'm worthy of eternal damnation apart from what this bread and wine represents. We're all on the same level. Verse 30. For this cause, that is because of the way they were abusing the Lord's table, Many are weak and sickly among you. Now this is physical sickness. And many, not a few, not some, many sleep. And sleep there in this context is referring to natural death. I imagine it was a long time before they were careless with the communion service. So when the Lord says to the church at Thyatira in chapter 2 of Revelation verse 23, he says, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now this is not legalism. This is not saying if you, that you're always going to reap in proportion of what you sow. No, God is so merciful most of the time. And we don't reap in proportion to what we sow. But here is, a, here is an issue of gross immorality where the Lord gives this Jezebel-like woman space to repent. He gives those that are participating in it space to repent. They know what they're doing is wrong. This is a blatant sin. They're unrepentant and God's judgment is poured out. But look at verse 24 now. He doesn't leave out those that are trying to do right. He says, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine. What doctrine? Well, one of the problems here, and I don't even like to use this word because it sounds like you're trying to be smart. I believe it's antinomianism or Gnosticism. Now, all that means is there were those that would say, some would say, well, we're spiritual beings, the body's not spiritual, so it really doesn't matter what you do in the body. And there were others that had the attitude that could infect our people if we don't keep preaching the importance of personal responsibility that would say, let us continue in sin that grace may abound. 
if we're saved by grace, and Paul said in Romans 5.20 that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So does that mean we should sin as much as possible to get more grace? <laughs> That's actually was probably being taught here. You know, when Paul told the churches at Galatia to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, he followed that down near the end of chapter as he said, Brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Don't use salvation by grace, like I used to hear the old preacher say, as a license to sin. But that... Uh, but unto you I say, and unto the rest of rest in fire attire, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan. See, this is satanic. It wasn't just fornication, it was idol worship. Pagan worship, as I said this morning, always involves sexual perversion. That's always a part of it. This is the depths of Satan. And he goes on to say, uh, I will put upon you none other burden, speaking of those that are trying to live right, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the, unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Now, we don't have time to get into all of this, but let me just read one verse in Daniel uh, chapter 2 and verse 44. At this time, uh, he had described, I believe, four other kingdoms. And then in verse 44, it says, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. The only kingdom that's going to stand forever is the Lord's church. And notice how that is described uh, so clearly in Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, notice how Paul concludes this chapter. Ephesians 3.21 Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, comma, world without end. See, the local church is a foretaste of the triumphant church in heaven made up of all of God's elect from all ages all over the world. And the church in that sense will last forever. This isn't the thousand-year reign that's out there in the future somewhere. This is the Lord's church. So that's what he's talking about when he says, He that overcometh, I will give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. I believe it's in... Uh, Peter will not turn to it. I don't remember the particular uh, verse, chapter and verse. But it says twice there that we have been made kings and priests unto our God. That's now. That's now. That's who we are in Christ. 
And then he says, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter. Shall they be broken to shivers? You know, I used to think that was an old southern slang term, and I didn't realize it was in the Bible as many times as I read this until I was reading this today. He'll break them into shivers. Even as I recede to my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Now, there's no question about what the morning star is. Look at Revelation chapter 22 and verse uh, 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. I will give him the morning star. What does that mean? That probably means that Jesus says, I'm going to make my abode with you. See, throughout the Bible, it teaches that if we draw nigh unto God, He'll draw nigh unto us. If we'll abide in Him, He'll abide in us. I'll give Him the morning star. There's probably a lot more in that that I don't see. And then finally, He that hath an ear. That's how He concludes, I believe, every one of these letters. He's not inquiring as to whether you have a physical ear or whether you can hear in a natural sense. But Jesus full well knows that only those that have spiritual life hear my message. And I believe that indicates that there were some deceivers in this church that were not children of God. And I am not teaching that every sinful person is a false professor and never was a child of God to start with. A child of God can ruin himself in sin, and especially if it's being encouraged in the church. But why would he say, he that hath an ear, let him hear, if there weren't some there that couldn't hear? And he might just be referring to some of these some of his children that are so engrossed in sin that they're dull of hearing. But if you hear, if you understand, he that hath an ear, let him hear, let him listen to what the Spirit saith unto the churches. More than likely, these letters were to be passed along to all seven of these churches because he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I know this was a harsh message, and I hope it doesn't apply to us, but I believe in preventive maintenance, don't you? And it's like, Brother Chris said, quoting somebody else, I would much rather build a fence at the top of a cliff than a hospital down at the bottom. We want to save God's people from the gross sin and immorality that if they're not careful, this world and this culture today will influence you to be involved with. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. 
Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.